Thank you for listening to this Miller Time Media Podcast. This interview took place during our Miller Time Live radio program. For information on the program, you can visit our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. You can also find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms by searching Miller Time Media. If you do not find us on your favorite podcast platform, not to fear, just send us an email and we'll get it done for you, Radio at outlook.com. Thank you and enjoy. Claudia Duvall, welcome guys. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. This is a very exciting program. Mark, do you want to kick us off and just contextualize the program for us? And then it's, it's, but it's so exciting to have you in the studio. So thank you very much for coming in, Claudia. Thanks for having me. So um, Claudia, Dr. Duval walked into um, our practice one afternoon and, um, you know, but we started talking about men's health. Um, and As you do in the teaching yes, practice. Yes, and um, there was a, something that, that um, baffled me and surprised me and frightened me um, when we started talking about the prevalence of anorectal carcinoma. It's something mm. that, you know, what I heard about when I was studying and after I stopped studying it's something that I haven't heard and um, then Claudia uh, told me about the, a, a phenomenal new center that that she is the medical director of and it's called the Queer Wellness Center and uh, Claudia if I'm not mistaken it's in Ilovo. Yes it's in Ilovo. So um, Claudia uh, Tell us about a little bit about yourself, your background as a medical specialist in nephrology, and then how did it translate into the, the um, starting of the Queer Wellness Center? Well, um, so in terms of nephrology, that is a, a someone who treats kidney diseases. So um, I once went to a function and there were some gay men there and they all were picking my brain and asking me questions about PrEP, that's a pre-exposure prophylaxis to prevent getting HIV. Right. And um, along the way I realized that they weren't having their follow-up blood tests and one in particular is one for kidney function. So I asked them, well, who's looking after your kidneys? And I got a very surprised reply that everyone asked me, what do you mean who's looking after our kidneys? Who has to look after our kidneys? And then um, just through that discussion, I realized that um, while people had access to it, they maybe did not have full access to all the treatment. They were just more interested in getting the actual tablets, but not knowing that they had to continue with follow-up tests and that along the way. And so I jokingly said to them, ah, oh, perhaps I should become the kidney specialist for all the gay men in Joburg. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what followed was like, please do. <laughs> and, and that's sort of how the idea then was born that um, queer health is different. There are things that are the same, but then there are things that affect each sex of the community very differently and um, need to be considered separately. And so we then decided to get a collection of specialists together who were interested in this field of essentially queer health. And um, and that's how QWC was then born. And. Um, one of the things along the way in terms of discussing anal cancer is that um, this is an issue that does affect trans women, it affects gay men, um, anyone who's HIV positive, transplant patients as well. And it is actually quite an easy thing to test for, um, which is done by an anal pap smear. So very similar. Okay, when I heard that, I mean, it, it totally blew my mind. I mean, pap smears have always been something my mother whispered about when, yes. I, when I was a kid, you know. So, I've got to go for a pap smear. Um, <laughs> I, I remember our conversation, and this was, I think, at the end of last year. And Chris, we, we discussed this. Yes, we did. One evening on our show, and we said that, you know, it will will uh, get you to to come and speak to us because mm. you know what I, radio today I, as a medical practitioner one and then two as a gay man i did not know about anorectal cancer and 
I did not know about the prevalence. I did not know how scary it was. And I, you know, what for me, what, what was so interesting and thought-provoking is that it's so easy to screen for and that every single yeah. guy, you know, it should actually have it. And, you know, it, yes, we're talking about um, the homosexual and the gay community, but I think this is also much more prevalent in our heterosexual populations than they care to believe. So, Claudia, your thoughts around that? So it is definitely, it is very prevalent. And um, when they've done studies, particularly in the U.S., and looked at um, groups, they found it to be much higher than even cervical cancer, which is what we consider normally for pap smear in select that groups of people. That is scary. Yeah, so it's, the yeah. whole thing is about specific groups of people. And um, so as I say, particularly HIV-positive um, people, people who have had um, cervical cancer, cancer or abnormal cells on a cervical pap smear are also more at risk because ultimately it is the same virus that so it's the human papillomavirus yes that's it, correct so it's the same virus because the cells in the anus and in the cervix are very similar right. and that is why it right. can cause cancer and the areas are really close together yes absolutely so, you know you don't have to have anal sex to get it that is a myth um, if you have genital warts, you could also be infected with one of the cancerous um, HPV viruses. So um, I, I, I want just, to, just mm. to, to stop here for a second mm. and just go into HPV, human papillomavirus, mm. and you know it, there are various forms of it. So um, a, a few that come to mind is not only genital warts, but HPV is also caused uh, or causes normal warts on fingers and toes and hands it's those you know it's those little growths that look like little cauliflowers yes um right you know so plantus warts would also be a form of human papillomavirus am i correct yes you're correct but there's only very specific ones that cause cancer okay. and that affects your genital area back um or that will cause genital warts or will cause cervical cancer or anal cancer. In particular, um, HPV 16 and 18 are the main ones, but there are some other high-risk ones. Right. Um, so that, that is why. So it's not going to be the virus that causes the warts on your hands. It's okay. not that virus. Okay. And these but are very specific. it's in the same family. It's in the same family. Okay. So, Claudia, uh, my next, I have so many questions, but suddenly I'm starting racing through Oh, gosh, my yeah. Mind. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, one of them, and I think we should maybe touch on this a little bit later, is that we know that we now have immunizations against HPV virus um, for cervical cancer. Um, is this something that we can look at? My next question is, uh, and I think maybe we should start there. Chris, I don't know where, how we're doing on time. We're good um, for now. So maybe let's start there. Um, how do we screen for this? And, you know, we, we've, we've said that it's our HIV-positive community, it's um, our gay community that have anal sex, yeah. it's our transgenders, it's our transplant patients, um, patients with warts. But who else should come and screen for this? And what is the screening process? What does the anal pap smear actually um, Intel, you know, I've done lots of pap smears on, on uh, women as a, 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 an ex-gynecologist and, you know, during our medical studies, but I've never done an anal pap smear. So I actually think it's easier than a cervical pap smear where you have to have the speculum and a lot of women find it very uncomfortable. Yeah. All that this really entails is it's a very small brush that is put into the anus. It is turned around and removed. So it's almost like having uh, your DNA taken yes. or something in this, a swab in your cheek. I it's, mean, for it's the, for pretty the much same the thing. same. Okay. The same thing. So it's like it's not painful. It is really a very very simple test. And going back to just in terms of the HPV, with that test, we can actually now also look for if you are infected with the higher risk 
HPV um, types and if you are then we would recommend that you have the pap smear more often um, than if you are not infected with HPV types you would maybe only need to do the pap smear every two or three years but if you are infected with them you should really do the test then every year. My, I, ha I have a question, sort of from what age is a good age to start doing this? So in terms of age, it would very much depend. If you are HIV positive and you've been HIV positive since child or since birth, there they would recommend that you would start testing in your early 20s. So it's all about time. Right. This is a disease that takes time to develop. If you only become sexually active in your late teens, then you should start testing in your early 30s and then follow up with testing. Okay, I've just there. clicked my button. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about timing. It takes time to develop. Right. Okay. Claudia, um, we, we know, and I, you know what, when we first had this discussion, um, you scared me when we, when we looked at the statistics. And you know what, I, I don't want to put the fear into our, our, our listeners and into our communities, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, if you could, could give us some statistics and compare the statistics to something that we can relate to, maybe cervical cancer, because that's what you, you told me. Mm. So, like I said, the, the numbers that I use are the American numbers because they've been doing these tests for a really long time. Um, so, in comparison per 100,000 population, the incidence of cervical cancer is seven, so seven per 100,000 population. In HIV-positive men who have sex with men, the number is 99 per 100,000 population. In HIV-positive wow. women, it's 18, so it's much higher. And um, in HIV-negative men who have sex with men, it is 49 per 100,000. So it's really much, much higher than cervical cancer in women um, in America. So. You know, if my math serves me correctly, in HIV positive men, it's a hundred and twenty percent higher incidence of anal carcinoma with human papilloma virus than you have cervical cancer, and in uh, and then there's a seventy percent and um, almost a thirty percent higher incidence and risk. This is this is tremendous. You know, it, uh, why why do we not know about this? Hmm. So I, I think people are afraid of talking about anal health. People are afraid of talking about why do why do Absolutely. I bleed if I have anal sex? You know, it's um, it's sort of demystifying discussing the anus and discussing problems around the anus. I feel something when I wipe my bum and I go to the toilet. You know, I'm, a lot of people are afraid of discussing that with healthcare providers. I mean, that fits in very much with what we talk about often on the show is, and especially with men, we're very reticent a lot of the time to see, seek out medical help, you know, and, and, and I mean, especially if it's down there. Yeah, well, that's the best thing, and that's accuracy. One of the things that we um, do is we have an anal health clinic, and the whole idea behind there is, if you've made an appointment to go to the anal health clinic, you should really be actually able to say that, hey, I've got a problem <laughs> and feel comfortable discussing it because just the pure fact you've made a booking, you've, you've arrived yeah. there. It's, it's, that already takes away a lot of that, how do I broach the subject? How do I ask someone, you know, I've, you know, I'm bleeding and I have pain or I feel something strange there. It's you've already come to that. So we're expecting you to discuss your bum, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're expecting you to discuss problems. And it sort of just takes away, I think, that uneasiness that a lot of people have. Um, for me, this is this is phenomenal information. It's I think it's so necessary. Um, I think it's something that's been neglected for such a long time. Now, um, I I was privileged enough to work in um, HIV clinics um, for for many years, but also many years ago. Mm. Um, and this is was something that that 
you know what I did not know 10 years ago and you know what for me if you haven't told me about this um, I also wouldn't have known about it how do we how do we create more awareness um, about this um, not only in the gay community Absolutely. I think let's come back to that because I think that's a huge topic and let's do that in the se- after these ads because I think that's a huge topic that we need to go for. You are listening to the Tea Health Show, Men's Health Laid Bare. You are listening to the Tea Health Show, Men's Health Laid Bare. And we're back again, and we're having such an interesting discussion. But if you've got any queries or questions, you can WhatsApp us on 064-212-8701. That's 064-212-8701. And uh, we'll also give out details for uh, the center a little bit later um, where you can access that. But any questions, if you... Post this, you can always WhatsApp us and we will get back to you with an answer. Right, we're jumping straight back, back in. How do, we make, uh, how do we raise awareness around this? So what I would first say is that this is overall, um, it is a bit new around the world. There are only 300 healthcare providers um, that are registered with the International Anal Neoplasia Society, or called IANS. And um, because effectively the team that started it started testing only in the late 1980s, and it took them a really long time before people started to acknowledge that yes, this is a problem. And it started in San Francisco. Right, um, as all good things do. Yeah, with the, with the gay community there. And um, so it slowly has spread out to different countries. And so it is um, building momentum in different countries as people start speaking about it more and more. Uh, but this is the this is the whole thing. It's as having these discussions um, that we help to start raise awareness. But it's... My point here, Veen, is that as much as we're having this discussion, everyone's amazed by the topic, and when I discussed it with you, you're also quite surprised by it. Absolutely. It is not Mark well was known. shell-shocked. He wasn't surprised. <laughs> he came straight onto the show, straight after after talking to you, and said, we've got to do this. We have to bring it. You know what? It, it's just, um, you know what? Today, I think um, society, our societies have become much, much more tolerant. Um, and... I have so many of my patients that tell me that the children who are still at school mm. are now openly gay. And you know what? Let's face it. If you're a teenage boy um, who's going through puberty and discussing uh, and discovering the joys of sex, you know what? This is something that you need to be aware of. Um, it's totally. It, it's uh, it's mind-boggling that this is not broadcast from bell towers. Um, so for me, it was it was uh, phenomenal. Well, I think one of the things that you kind of mentioned earlier about the vaccine, and I think that's one of the biggest areas for us is really advocating and promoting the vaccine and not just for girls but girls and boys should have it and also for instance in the states they're actually recommending now that the age be pushed much further up to the age of 46 even that people should get the vaccine so my my immediate question was i remember when the vaccine came out and please help me if i'm wrong here the vaccine that we gave for HPV infections um, was uh, girls before their first sexual encounter have to have it. Now, the moment that you said to me 46, I, I, you know what, I don't know a lot of 46-year-old virgins. So how, <laughs> does, how does this, except me, of course, I'm in whites this evening. So um, how does this translate to do I have to be a virgin do I not have to be sexually active is there a time of abstinence um, explain so the, the the best obviously would be to have the vaccine before you sexually active and before you are potentially infected that would be like first choice but um 
If you have had sex before, it, it doesn't matter. Getting the vaccine is still very important because the vaccine trains your immune system to recognize particles that the virus has. And so when you have the virus in your cells and you have these virus um, viruses around, your immune system will destroy them before they have the opportunity to infect your cells or make things worse. And so that is why they are recommending now that this really gets extended because we know both for cervical cancer and for anal cancer, it's as I said, it's, it's a disease of time. You need to have been infected with it for quite a while for cancer to develop. So if you have your own body also helping to eliminate it, it's can only help you in the in the long run. So immediately I go back to my 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 training as um, a gynecologist, and you know when you say it's it's um, a treatment that develops over time, I'm starting to think think of sin one, sin two, sin three, sin four lesions, um, which is uh, you know how we grade how how the uh, infection or the, the virus. Over cancer is a pre-cancer because yeah. some lesions are pre-cancerous. How they are um, affecting uh, the mucous membranes, etc., etc. So, if we talk about screening for this, um, if we have something like a sin one lesion, which is you know a very early pre pre-cancerous uh, stages, um, how do how do our approach Differ, and um, maybe I should preempt that. But but if we if we then have the vaccine, does it reverse some of these lesions? So in terms of one, how you approach it. So what would happen is you would have the pap smear, like a very simple procedure, a little simple brush, um, and that just identifies if you have abnormal superficial cells. So if you have abnormal superficial cells, you should at least have in the cervix, it's a CIN1 lesion, but in the anus, it's an AIN1 lesion essentially. And that's why they they are almost identical in terms of how they describe them. Um, There's been a few changes to how things get described now, but I'm not going to go in. We'll just use AIN1. And um, with that, the way that we would diagnose AIN1 instead is you have an abnormal pap smear, you have these abnormal cells. You then have a follow-up procedure, which is called HRA, or high-resolution endoscopy. And there, what we essentially do is we take a microscope and we look through a microscope and we look at the anus and we look for where these abnormal cells have come from. And we would then do a small biopsy of that area. It's um, in women, they would go for a colposcope. So this is instead an anoscope. And um, when we identify that area, that would then grade on the biopsy. It tells us how deep the lesion goes. And depending on how deep the lesion goes, you say it's either AIN1, 2, or 3, which is superficial cancer. And if we identify those areas, you can have them, especially if they are in one or two, they can be cauterized out. So then you'd have a follow-up procedure. Same thing with the anoscope, we would then just cauterize it. And um, you would just go for six monthly checkups. Is it everything okay? Sort of normal cancer screening. Yes. If, you, if you've had a scare, it's a normal cancer screening. Exactly, right. like that. And um, if it is superficial, then some we can still treat with just cauterizing it. I mean, cauterizing, just burning the lesion out. Because these are small lesions. I mean, your anus is five centimeters in total. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's a really small area. Um, but otherwise, we would send you to a surgeon then who would look at cutting that area out. So immediately, you know, with men, um, we are a little bit squeamish and, you know, what most of us are big babies. So um, from a, a, a treatment perspective and for comfort and for discomfort and, you know, what, um, quick, easy, uh, this should be fairly painless. So the, the passion is definitely pain is very, very simple. The anoscopy is a bit more uncomfortable because you have to just lie on your side. So that tends to be a bit more uncomfortable. In terms of pain, generally it is painless. 
because the area that is affected doesn't have any nerve endings. Oh, wow, okay. Um, it's just sometimes the lesions might edge on um, your normal skin, which then would be painful. So we do inject, if we see that, then we would inject anesthetic in the area so that you hopefully don't feel <laughs> any right, pain. Right. But generally it's painless. Okay. So, um, Claudia, my, my next question would be, what is there that you can do other than the, the vaccines to prevent this? So, the one would be using condoms. Right. So, if you use condoms all the time. Um, but, I mean, that would even be using, if you had... A, penis on a penis or dick on a dick however you want to say it it's if you even have that together you're going to still cause spread and that's the whole point of this it's like the areas are so close together mm. so really it's only going to be condom use that's going to help prevent this in any other way okay so i there's too many questions going through my head the, the, the next one is um sex toys yes um, the use of sex toys you know it would also then be able to spread this am yes. I am I right you are right especially if they are not cleaned properly so so uh, you know what I, I think for a lot of people out there uh, you know what you use your toy and you wash it with water and soap that's not good enough no it's not good enough you need to use a disinfectant you've got a disin disinfectant and, and, and I, th I think in practice it so often isn't isn't done and um, I mean you know in the heat of the moment and I mean this comes from old HIV AIDS education yep. programs you, you, you know we would always say always condomize etc 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 if you use don't share sex toys and all, all of those sort of things but in practice it often doesn't doesn't happen and and, and I think it's something that we have to be so aware of um, and it, it, it's a learning curve. It's a huge learning curve. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things when we were discussing just even with PrEP, everyone's gotten very comfortable, but mm, everyone's yes. always that afraid of HIV. And um, with PrEP now, everyone feels, oh, it's no need to use a condom. I'm on PrEP. Everything's good. But that's this is where these issues arise, is that there are other sexually transmitted infections. Well, I mean, the um, rising gonorrhea and, exactly. and syphilis is huge at the moment in, 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 in the prep-taking population, which so, is so funny. I remember, and I'm going back to prior to 2010, um, and the HIV clinic that I was uh, fortunate enough to work with was called Vuzubantu. And Vuzubantu was funded by uh, Seduxia and the city of Paris. And um, one evening, we were sitting with a French ambassador, and I asked this question, um, because at that point in time, France was one of the leading countries that was providing um, antiretroviral drugs to their HIV-positive uh, mm -hmm. patients. And I said, don't you find that with um, ARV medication um, that there's a growing sense of complacency with sexually active people. And the answer was, and I think that uh, this should speak volumes, um, and he said to me, the biggest infection rate that they saw was not in, homosexual, in the homosexual community. Oh, no, totally not. They saw the biggest infection rate in spike in affluent... Caucasian heterosexual males below the age of 30 that were going to clubs having a good time and having unprotected sex mm. because of the fact that you know what we know HIV now is becoming a manageable disease you know it's like hypertension and diabetes yes it is progressive but it's slowly progressive um, and I can get free treatment for this. Well, you see, so, that's the point. People um, are Claudia, complacent. Your, your, uh, what is happening around that? Because um, Queer Health, uh, Queer Wellness also provides 
STD screening as well as HIV uh, treatment. Can, let's come back to that because it's a huge topic we have to go into and we'll do that straight after this advert break. You are listening to the Tea Health Show, Men's Health Laid Bare. And we're back again and a fascinating topic to, tonight. And we here with Dr. Claudia Duval and Dr. Mark and uh, Claudia. We were about to talk all about STDs and things yeah. now. <laughs> so, um, so we do see uh, STDs and we do see anal STDs as well. And um, actually, modern tests are really, really easy now. We can do it, as you spoke earlier, it's a simple swab. And with the swab, we can um, identify over 10 anal sexually transmitted infections. So, um, for, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, you can't put your hand up on, on <laughs> so the air, Mark. Immediately, you know, I'm like, okay. Anal STDs. Mm. Chris, have you known about them? I've heard of them, but but very much in a in, in an abstract form. So, what are anal so STDs? It is syphilis. It's gonorrhea. It's so it is all your usual ST, the STDs. But um, and this is why it becomes important talking about queer health and that because you can also get them affecting your throat. Yes. So you know it it doesn't just have to be on your penis only um, or in your vagina. It doesn't need to be there it can be it can be anywhere um and and so the this is why we we always speak about condoms and using condoms because that is what's going to help you um or if you're a lesbian using dental dams that's also mm. an alternative and even internal condoms like if um you would just like to protect yourself and you are a bottom an internal condom would also work so these are um really easily treatable diseases um, that can be tested for that do cause a lot of issues. Um, you know what, I know that a lot of them, especially in men, are asymptomatic. So they are asymptomatic, but you know, we've had a few people coming and complaining about um, bleeding when having anal sex and um, or just pain or sort of this discomfort mm. and then when we do the test they often have a, a sexually transmitted infection and then we treat that and that generally they feel um, better after that and their symptoms improve so it's Asymptomatic, I think you're going to be asymptomatic on your penis, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be asymptomatic anywhere else. Like you could have mouth ulcers mm. and it could actually be a sexually transmitted infection. So, you know, it's wide, it's varied, they cause, they all cause different symptoms. Um, as I said, there's over 10 that can cause problems. So it's, you know, if you feel something's funny or abnormal, have, in your butt, go have a check. Yeah, go have your bum checked. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't assume it's all fine. So we we we've spoken a lot, and we, we you know what I think we're focusing a little bit on 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 um, homosexual people here, but um, there's a lot of people uh, and women that's affected uh, by HPV, um, and they are. You know, it having sexual partners, uh, heterosexual partners, um, and anal sex and heter heterosexual sex happens as yeah. well. I mean, yeah, very yeah. much so. So, so um, you know, but I, I think this is something that should be seen as if you're sexually active in whatever form. You know, it, uh, at some point, I think if you've had more than one partner, or your partner has more than one partner. You're, you have been or will be exposed to this. Yes. Um, mm. yes and, then. you know, it, take it to heart. So I, I want to go one step back, and we spoke about the um, vaccines. Tell us a little bit more about them. Where do we find them? Um, you know, this, there was this big thing in the States uh, a while ago with vaccination for measles, etc., etc. How safe are vaccines? What are the possible complications that we have? So generally vaccines are very safe. 
when they label vaccines um, or complications of vaccines, it can vary, very like extensively. Um, so, for instance, if you have a vaccine in the morning and you're in a car accident in the afternoon, they have to still label any trauma from that, like with the vaccine, as associated period, yeah, yeah. in that period. So, what most people would have is they may have some swelling at um, the site where the vaccine is given. Very few people have allergies to vaccines, mm -hmm. um, but generally that's a component of the vaccine, so you would ask that on um, history taking. So this would be egg, for example? Yes. For some vaccines, yes. Um, some people can't have live vaccines, so again, so vaccines are quite spread out quite different whether it's a live or a dead vaccine. Um, so transplant patients can't have live vaccines. So it is, as I said, it's quite a varied mix. So, sorry, my, I, I, I apologize for interrupting you. So what I take from that is that there are different types of vaccines yes. for HPV. So there are different types of vaccines. You have um, one that has four of the HPV viruses in, then you've got one that has nine. Those are the two main types. In South Africa, you can only get the what we call the quadrivalent. That's the four in mm -hmm. one. Um, but for instance, if you are in the States, you would only have access to the nine. Right. Okay. So it's just it depends where you are and what vaccine is available. Um, it normally is freely available, but it consists of three injections that can um, they're given over a six month mm -hmm. period. So it's quite an easy regimen. So two months, two months, two months? No, so it's one immediately. Um, the middle one can be given at different times. So uh, some places or some practices will do it a month after, some will do it two months after. The It's it's actually, there is a bit of leeway in that. And then you have one at six months. Okay. Um, Chris, you were going to ask. Sorry. Yeah, I've, I'm, I've got a question, and it's moving slightly away from vaccines now. Are, are you, have you got a vaccine-related no, question? No, I was just going to ask. You said that it's uh, it's free. So is this something that's available at our uh, health clinics? Is it something that is only available at specialist clinics? Is it something that some vaccines I know you can get at your pharmacy? How do we go about getting You this? can get these at your pharmacy. You can get them at your local health clinics. It's just in terms of them being free, as far as I know, and I may stand to be corrected, it's mainly for girls. And that's why everyone's yeah. been discussing about it becoming available for boys as well. I, I, I heard, and that might, might be wrong, but that it's becoming available, was supposed to be available for men or boys from the 1st of April this year. That, that was the, but, but then COVID hit. So I, I don't know what that rollout is looking like and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what I say. I'm, I, like I could be mistaken mm. now, um, but it was changing. But I just heard that from my sexual health practitioner. Yeah, so. So I, I think we'll check into that. Yeah. Uh, um, I know that we'll, we'll ask Dante, our producer, um, to take a look at that and you know we'll give our listeners some feedback. Now, I have a question, and, and my question is, I, th I think we've been speaking a lot about anorectal cancers and, and what, how to test for them, etc. What are the symptoms that we should be aware of going in, into this? Why, why would I go for the swab? I mean, apart from just general health checkup. So, so the, the pap smear is really, it's a screening tool. So that's why we would recommend everyone have screening, same as women have screening for cervical cancer with the pap smear. It pretty much is the same um, there. You don't need to have symptoms, or oh, I think I've got actual cancer to get screening. Mm. The idea of screening is that you pick up any potential or early cancers, um, so the precancerous lesions, very early on, so that you don't your treatment is minimal. Right. Um, but if people are concerned that maybe they have cancer, the things that they may have is pain during sex um, or anal intercourse, um, bleeding on passing poo or stool, um, and that can be a whole different, there are many things that could cause that, Absolutely. but it's just, it's, if you're seeing that, it's like go and get checked out, go and be seen. Um, if you feel anything that's abnormal or hard, or there's something, there's a new growth there, mm. those are the, the big sort of ones to have a look at and to say, yeah, I need to go get checked out. And I mean, I, I always like cautioning people, don't 
panic immediately because you could have a hardness that might be a hemorrhoid yes, or something. Exactly. So you know, which are natural do occur, and that's so it's 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 to but go and check it out. Don't not check it out. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the key. And and, and that's the whole point of this is the screening is really easy. Like, and so yes, you can have many other problems that occur in your anus or in your bum like it's it doesn't need to be just cancer there are mm. other things that are there and so just be seen to don't ignore it so tell us where do we where do we get the screening tests done is it freely available do i ask my gp to do for it do i need to go somewhere um because uh, you know as a general practitioner i've never been approached by a pharmaceutical company that said to me, "Doctor, are you are you screening for uh, anal cancer? Mm. Um, uh, what is the prevalence of of your patients? What is your demographic for your patients? Um, where do we go?" So. <laughs> If you're in America, you would find that a lot of general practitioners um, would screen patients. But because it is very new here, um, not necessarily all general practitioners would know what to do or how to do it. Um, and that's that goes again in terms of raising awareness and starting to um, educate people how to do it. Because it is... Um, it's a new idea, and that's why I was saying overall, in terms of the anoscopy, there's only 300 people worldwide that can right. do that procedure. So it's not a lot of people worldwide. So it is quite a new idea. Um, but I mean, if people are unsure, we do it at QWC. Um, so we have a centre in, in, in Johannesburg, in the northern suburbs. Are there other centres in South Africa? Are there other centres in our big metropolis? You know, in Cape Town, in uh, Pretoria, maybe even um, Bloemfontein, East London, Kimberley. Any anywhere else that, or are we now pioneering? You know, what starting to create awareness uh, mm. amongst our practitioners. So I would say, um, from my experience, I haven't met anyone else doing them in the country. There was one person who was doing it, but did it for a study, and she's no longer um, doing them anymore. And um, I think this is the whole idea of creating awareness and bringing it out to the forefront. Um, if people ask their GPs, can I have an anal pap smear, or the one lab issued a whole document on what are anal pap smears, how do you do it? So that education is happening. So there may be more and more people who will start doing this. And um, as time goes on, I'm sure there'll be more practitioners who will then go and do the course to learn how to do anoscopy. Right. And there, and what's great is that Ian's um, IANS, which is that international group, they actually put a list of all the providers in every country that do it. So um, in time, it, they, that list would grow, and we would then just click South Africa, and they'd say, where do you live in South Africa? <laughs> and then they'll Fantastic. give you who it is. Okay, so Chris... Um, you're signaling that we are going to a commercial break. We are, and then we'll pick up with what the scent is all about. So that's fantastic. I'm really excited to hear. You are listening to the Tea Health Show, Men's Health Laid Bare. Indeed, we are back again. And sure, and again, best conversations or fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> always, we always. have to record these. Yeah, we, we totally do. Okay, we're coming up into the last five, uh, 15 or 10 minutes, actually, so it's it's gone very quickly. What an interesting day. But tell us about the center. How do you, people get hold of it? What services do you offer, etc.? How How do we go about this? So, um, as I said, we call the Queer Wellness Center, so QWC. Our website has a lot of information on it, and um, it is qwchealth.com. qwchealth.com, right. Um, our Instagram is also qwchealth, so it's it, really easy to, to find us, and that also has links to our website. We do have more information about um, anal health on our website, um, we often put different information pieces um, on Instagram as well. 
In terms of our services, as I said, we're a whole group of specialists. Um, I am the kidney specialist, so if you are on any treatments and happen to have kidney problems um, with that or complications from that, that would be um, my field. Uh, we have a general practitioner who is also specialized in um, transgendered health. Um, we have a psychiatrist, psychologist, um, we have an infectious diseases specialist that uh, does time there as well, uh, an endocrinologist, so really it's a whole group of urologists. <laughs> so we have like, quite an extensive um, group of people. And the whole idea of QWC was to have practitioners who um, would treat you, have some understanding of the community, um, would give you um, would, well, would almost make you feel comfortable because the idea of the center is that none of us are based there all the time. We come from our practices into the center. Right. So the center is a safe space. You can discuss anything in um, at the center and it changes sort of the discussion of people coming to like heteronormative healthcare and instead we're coming into a queer space. Right. It, it, it's very much like the Lighthouse Project in the UK used to be um, in, in the early 80s when HIV first started, where people were moving away from their GPs who had very little idea about HIV or AIDS in those days and creating this very safe space. So Lighthouse Project, the Terence Higgins Trust, etc., etc., which is amazing. I mean, it's so important. Um, you know, but what I found is with our GPs, um, being a general practitioner myself, but specializing in uh, hormone replacement therapy for, for men and women, this is not something that our GPs um, have almost time mm. to, to do. You know, but we see sick people and screening is not high. Including you part of a medical fraternity, you know, what, uh, screening is not high on the priority if you have 20 people sitting in your waiting room or five people sitting in your waiting room, all of them sick. So, um, you know, what, centers like yours is... Is, is phenomenal and I, I think you know what we should make use of him um, firstly get the information out there um, and and uh, go from there so getting hold of you other than the website is there numbers that people can call do we make bookings uh, with a receptionist with a telephonist or other bookings made online what do they cost Etc. So the bookings can be made online, and there is also a telephone number that you can contact as well. Um, most of the practitioners charge medical aid rates. As I said, we're it's all a whole group of yeah. practitioners, so the majority do charge medical aid rates. So it would ultimately be covered by your medical aid. Um, and the, the whole the whole thing with QWC is that, as I said, starting out. Um, queer health there are you have your um so sort of uh, health conditions that affect the queer population as well as non-queer population and um you also then have queer specific issues like um discussing a lot about anal health and um in the anal pap smear which yes as much as it falls under everyone who's HIV positive as I said HIV positive men who have sex with men are more at at risk so I mean and, and that would also include trans women would also yes. um, be more at risk and so just to know that yes this is something to discuss and to make time to have these discussions and that's why um, this sort of changes the way that you look at medicine for the queer community. It's not just, oh, you have the flu, but to be able to actually ask these other questions um, as well. Have you tested for HIV? Have you tested for other um, sex transmitted infections? Have you, do you have throat issues? Could it be a throat STI? Well, it's a special, I mean, I mean, what you're saying is it's a specialist field, yeah. actually, and, and GPs of fantastic for your flus and your colds and that sort of thing but it's a very specialist field and I, I think it's something Mark often says as a doctor you don't have time to read research and study everything 
I mean, you, you just you just don't do it. You may, you may have had a, a module when when you were at medical school on all the men's health issues. So we medicine has moved into the the realm of the specialist and this is a specialist field and i want to classify that you know there are a lot of gps that are and um other healthcare providers like psychologists uh etc etc that specializes in certain parts of medicine like myself in hormone replacement therapy uh, your your practitioner that's at the qwc that specializes in in queer disease you know so and there are very few of them in johannesburg i know of a couple um one in santon and one in bedford view but i don't know of anyone else so, I think there's one in Northcliffe as well, that, okay. but that's but that's very very few, you know. That's uh, but I mean, in, in just saying, if for example somebody's got a problem with their kidneys, you would go to a nephrologist, you, you know, you would you because you understand the the physiology and etc. of it, but and and the factors, the illnesses, but to treat, you you can't always be abreast of absolutely everything, and I think that's why this is so important. And, to be honest. And with that, it's just in terms of um, having the different specialists who are also particularly interested in this field as yes. well. Yeah. And because that also adds a whole thing like you, um, you would look more at like what are the drugs also impacting on the particular like organ that I treat, for instance, sure. that may be, may be different and, and that will also affect it. Guys, I'm sorry. I've, I've stopped watching the time because I got excited <laughs> and we've run out of time. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I think we might have to get you back on again as per usual because we never get to the de- in, into the detail we want to. Next week, we have psychologist Daniel Greenslade back on again and we're going to be talking about anxiety and depression which I think is really important. And I will see, Mark, I'll see you next week. Can't wait. Claudia, thank you for coming. Um, We know that you're in ICU and busy. Um, We definitely would have you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. And don't forget, you can ask any questions on 064-212-8701. See you next week. Can't wait. You have been listening to The Tea Health Show. For more information on tonight's broadcast, or if you have a question, WhatsApp Dr. Mark on 064-212-8701. You can also visit The Tea Clinic on the web, the-t-clinic.com.